right, here we go. Welcome back to the Big Bets on Campus podcast. This is our G5 deep dive, and this week it is the G5 Bowl extravaganza. We're going to touch them all, to use a baseball phrase here, getting into every single game. For those of you watching on YouTube, you can see the mini helmets have assembled behind me. A good indication that I'm taking this seriously. A quick reminder for our audience, we are covering every single G5 Bowl game. So if you're thinking to yourself, guys, just shut up and give me that famous Idaho potato bowl pick. Don't worry. We have you covered on that front. You're going to go to the episode description. There's going to be a time marker for every single game so that you can skip ahead, move back, jump forward, anything you need to do to be able to get those previews in those bite-sized chunks you're looking for. Ionello, this is my favorite time of year. I absolutely love these games. The more obscure the bowl sponsor, the more ex- obscure the matchup, the six and six teams. I love when those five and seven teams used to sneak in with their APR score ratings or credit ratings, whatever they needed to do to get in there. I love this time of year because these games mean a lot to me as a gambler. And for some schools, they mean a lot. And for others, it's kind of a letdown. It's fun to try to play a little bit of, uh, you know, bench coach psychologist and try to get in the minds of the players and the coaching staff. So I just want to throw it to you. What does bowl season mean to you this time of year? It's the best time of the year. There's no such thing as a bad bowl game. It's a combination of, first of all, it's, it's nice that, you know, if you, have your, if you haven't done your taxes yet, you learn of plenty of options of, of great sites to do them. That seems like that's most of the sponsors or some sort of tax-related operation. Having these weekday games start at 11 a.m. is just the best. I There's nothing better than, you know, you, you go into work, you work for like three hours, and then at 11 a.m. or noon, there's a bowl game kicking off, and you're like, I'm not, especially it's Christmas, like no one's doing work anyway. I actually have the whole week off between Christmas and New Year, so having bowl games start at noon it just could not be more ideal. Well, let's help our listeners get into a cushy spot like you're in, where you can just take, you know, a, a week off in Q4, no problem for Ionello. <laughs> yeah. So, so first, real quick, I just want to throw out a little caveat to all of our viewers and listeners. Before you bet any of these games, go look at uh, Stucky has a tremendous running piece on the Action Network website where he is tracking all of the opt-outs, all of the coaching changes, all the news, because that is super important this time of year. Now, what's nice about these first couple bowls is it probably doesn't matter because all of these players are going pro in something other than sports. Let's start, as you mentioned, weekday bowl games starting at noon, Friday, September 17th, Middle Tennessee against Toledo in the Bahamas Bowl. It's being played at Thomas A. Robinson National Stadium down in Nassau. This one's a noon kickoff. Toledo is a 10-point favorite, 51 and a half for the total. Do you have a play on this first game on the board? I'm taking Toledo minus 10. I'll lay the points there. I think Toledo had a weird year. They were the favorites to win the MAC coming in. Struggled early on when they were doing that two-quarterback thing with Bradley and Finn. Settled on Finn. Really, really settled down. When you look look at this Toledo like lineup, okay, they, they led the MAC in points per game on offense, and also in the fewest points per game on defense. So they had the best offense, best scoring defense. The object is to score more than your opponent. Yet they somehow win just seven and five and five and three in MAC play. So 
it's kind of a weird year. I, I don't believe Middle Tennessee. You know, they're on their fourth quarterback. They're starting either fresh. I don't know who will start is uh, Matadio or Mike DeLeo, who are, you know, freshman, sophomore quarterbacks. They combined for six touchdowns, seven interceptions. Middle Tennessee is just 92nd in rushing success on defense. So, and Middle Tennessee is a weird team too, where their their margin of games win or lose was 20.6. So they either win by a lot or lose by a lot. So you're in the 10 with Toledo. Averages will tell you Middle Tennessee is either going to win by 20 or lose by 20. So I'll lay the 10. <laughs> yeah, it's when you bring up Middle Tennessee, you have those teams in about October that they get on bowl eligibility watch and they needed everything to go right down the stretch. But here's the thing, their last four games that they won came against opponents with a combined record of 10 and 38. They beat one and 11 FIU. They beat a decent five and seven FAU team, three and nine Southern Miss and one and 11 UConn. Toledo is not in those teams' classes whatsoever. And you brought up Daquan Finn, he averaged over 300 total yards per game in his last four while counting for 13 total touchdowns. I think Toledo is going to outclass them. And just a little historical nugget about the Bahamas Bowl. This is always a big game for the favorite. They're five and one straight up in the six Bahamas Bowls. So I'm going to go ahead with the Rockets here. This is one of my favorite plays of all of bowl season, which usually I like to, you know, hold out for those big confidence point, you know, moves in those pools that you get into. But I think right away Toledo is going to outclass Middle Tennessee, who will probably play two quarterbacks, as you mentioned. So I think Middle Tennessee is in a bit of trouble here. All right, we're going to move on to the second game of Friday, September 17th at 6 p.m. The kickoff between Northern Illinois and Coastal Carolina. They're playing that one at Exploria Stadium down in Orlando. Coastal Carolina, 10.5-point favorite with a total of 63.5. This is a team that's, you know, drawn your ire, to say the least. Northern Illinois has been a team that has... It's been the opposite of snake bet. They've been in so many close games, found a way to win, and really playing their best football coming in. But I think there's a reason why this game is handicapped, um, you know, in the double digits. And it's an interesting fact here. The MAC champion in the last nine bowl games is one and eight straight up. They just keep losing in these spots. And Coastal Carolina obviously has built up a national reputation seemingly overnight, but I still think they're riding a little bit of last year's coattails in terms of their overall performance. You know, they, they go four and two down the stretch. They get Grayson McCall back, but they were in a one possession game with Troy. They need to go to overtime against South Alabama. So I think there's some vulnerability here. I'm actually going to call my shot. You got to have a diversified bowl portfolio. And by that, I mean, you got to take a lot of underdogs and you got to take some big underdogs to win outright because seemingly it happens every single bowl season. So the fact that I can get close to plus 350 on my money, I'm going to take a Northern Illinois team that's playing really well. And here's the, the last piece of it for me. Last year, Coastal was so dynamic on offense with the run in the pass, but it was really their defense that kept them in every single game that they played and gave them a chance to slow down dynamic offenses. They're just not the same against the run this year as they were last year. And when you look at Northern Illinois, top five in rushing yards per game, they're the number one big play rushing offense in the country with more 30 plus yard runs than any other team. And all of this has led to a MAC championship and a nine and four overall record. And they did it despite horrible turnover luck, 94th in turnover margin. So in a small sample size in one game, I think if they get a few bounces go their way, I think they're a live dog here. So I'm going to take Northern Illinois. What do you think about uh, this team that is led by Rocky Lombardi, one of your favorites? Are you going to finally give him his due or are you going to sit this one out? There's 0.0 chance I bet this game because <laughs> – 
I mean, first of all, you have to make sure, you know, is McCall going to play? Is likely going to play? You got to make sure the big guys for Coastal are, are actually playing this game. I mean, I haven't heard anything that they're not, so I would assume they are. Big thing, I mean, you know how I feel about Northern Illinois. I mean, Coastal Carolina is 10th in the country in rushing success. They are ninth in line yards. Northern Illinois is 126th in rush defense and 128th in line yards. Coastal Carolina should blow the doors off of this team. But every team that Northern Illinois played should have blown the doors off them. So I like the money line play. And I told you this yesterday. I actually, if you're going to bet it, I would bet Coastal Carolina minus 10 and also Northern Illinois money line, because I think you're guaranteed that one of those two happens. I think Coastal either blows the door off them or Northern Illinois wins. I think, you know, you try to play psychologist, Coastal Carolina, pretty disappointing year for them, I would say, by their standards. You know, they were in the New Year's Six comp- uh, discussion last year. You know, they've laid a lot with uh, Louisiana, and then I think they dropped that one to Georgia State without without McCall, right? Um, so, you know, kind of – you know, they expected to be, I think they were the favorites to win the Sun Belt coming into the year. If not, they were definitely up in the discussion. So, you know, by their standards, pretty disappointing for Coastal. Northern Illinois, just, you know, they've been so lucky all year. And I guess, you know, they're good. I'll just, I'll, I'll finally admit, they're a good team because they create their own luck. And they've, there's only, if you keep getting lucky over and over again at some point, you're probably just a good team. So I still think Coastal should blow them off, the doors off them, but I don't know that they will. So I like I like the Northern Illinois Northern Illinois money line play because I think it's almost just as likely as them covering. So take the shot. <laughs> it, it reminds me a little bit of that stat that gets thrown around in baseball with teams with really good bullpens, where it's what your what is your record in one run games? I think it was the Orioles maybe six or seven years ago when they went to the playoffs, but they won like eighty percent of their one run games, and that was the difference to, to get into the postseason. And when the sample size is big enough, to your point. It's not just random luck. It's they have confidence when they get in those situations. And I think Northern Illinois is ready for a battle. They're ready for a tight game in the fourth quarter. And clearly this is a game that's going to matter to them. Where Coastal went from a dream season last year where in their bowl game they had a chance to put together a perfect season to say to themselves, you know, let's put a banner a la UCF on the outside of our stadium, undefeated national champs. And they fumbled the bag in what was a really good game against Liberty. This feels like a step down. So for those reasons, I think there's a little bit of an emotional edge for Northern Illinois in this game. All right, now turning to Saturday, December 18th. The Western Kentucky Hilltoppers, the pride of the Commonwealth. We got Western Kentucky against Appalachian State, two programs that lost in their conference title games. This is the RoofClaim.com Boca Raton Bowl, and it's going to be played in FAU Stadium in Boca Raton. It's an 11 a.m. kickoff. App State is a three-point favorite with a total of 68. These are two teams that we've talked a lot about throughout the season. Obviously, fire up your zap guns. This is an opportunity for Bailey Zappi to go down in the NCAA record books as the GOAT. I believe he needs five touchdown passes and over 300 yards to accomplish some major statistical feats. You can get into the the specifics on that one. How are you playing this one, and is it time to ride one more time with the toppers? Yep, absolutely. I actually went back and forth here between taking Western Kentucky plus three which I like. And if you're betting the side or you're in a confidence pool, like I, I would take Western Kentucky. I think this is an outright. I would take them to win. But I actually think my favorite play here is on the over 67. 
you know, Zach Kitley took the OC job, which is kind of funny. We talked about, you know, coordinators that could be on the move. We mentioned Kitley gets a job like two days later. Um, but he is expected to remain and coach this bowl game. So having Kitley still on the sideline is big. And I mentioned, Zappy's at 56 touchdowns. He needs two touchdowns to tie G5 hero of Cope Brennan and uh, for second in college football history. He needs four to tie Joe Burrow. So five, you know, to pass Burrow. I guarantee you everyone in that stadium knows he needs five. And you know, no matter what the score is, they're going for five. You know, if they're up big, he's throwing the ball. They want to get him five. Another big thing for this is Mitchell Tinsley, their second leading receiver, is in the portal, but apparently still playing in the bowl game, which I didn't even know was allowed. But the reports say he's still planning to play, even though he's in the portal. I don't know that that's legal. I, I think it's kind of a Michael Scott, the office situation where just because you yell, I declare bankruptcy, doesn't mean that you're actually filing for bankruptcy. So, yeah, I think he's just giving verbal indications that he is portal headed. Well, good for him. Then maybe he's looking to show out for his new team. Uh, the, I guess my one hesitate, my one concern with the over is uh, App State's leading receiver, Corey Sutton, is not playing. He had surgery. But I think most App State's success comes on the ground. Cameron Peoples, Nate Newell, I think they're going to run all over this Western Kentucky defense. We saw Sincere McCormick do it last week. Western Kentucky's 98th in rush success, 88th in line yards on defense. And the other thing I like about this game is, you know, Tra- Chase Bryce is very boom or bust. He either you know, they'll throw touchdowns, but they'll also throw picks. And his Western Kentucky defense is very good at turning the ball over. So the, betting the over here or betting Western Kentucky, it, it, it kind of helps us where if Bryce throws a pick, it, it may actually benefit us because it'll give Western Kentucky, you know, hopefully a short field. They're good at turning the ball over. Uh, Sap State defense is very good against the run. They're elite against the run. They're, they're good against the pass too, but they're, they're way better against the run. And I'm it just, you know, you know, Zappy can throw on anyone. Zappy can throw on the 85 Bears. So I'm not exactly worried about that upstate defense as much. Um, so I, I like the over. I think 67, you're getting kind of a discount on, on the Zappy number usually because upstate's defense is so good. Like I said, I think they run it up to try to get that that five touchdown game for, for Zap Dog. I, I'm with you on this one. I had this penciled in at 73 and a half. So any number sub 70, I really like. I also think this is a spot where if there's a slow first quarter, hit a live total over because, you know, Western showed, I think it was about three games ago against Marshall. They kind of were slow out of the gate against a, a pretty decent Marshall defense. And then it just exploded. I think they scored 40 plus in the second half. So there's did, no, no reason. They did against, against UTSA. They did against UTSA. They're yeah. a second half comeback. They, I mean, threw like what, four touchdowns in the second half? Yeah, so just go ahead and mark that down. Somebody keep your eye on. Particularly, it's the first game of the day, so you don't have those competing interests where you're switching between games. Just you know, kind of ride that out and see if there's some value in that live total. All right, sticking with Saturday, December 18th, we have UTEP against Fresno State in the PUBG Mobile New Mexico Bowl. And that game is going to be played at University Stadium in Albuquerque. At 2.15 p.m. Eastern, Fresno State in 11.5-point favorite. The total here is at 51. And I'm going to jump in quickly on this one. This is a team I followed all season in UTEP. We're talking Minor Nation. Out in the West Texas town of El Paso. Picks up. I like under. I like under in this game for a couple reasons. Um, We're going to start with the fact that Fresno has the potential to mail this one in. Kalen DeBoer leaves for Washington. Then their quarterback, Jake Hayner, is like, okay, cool. I'll follow you to Washington where I started my career. Then the compliance office or something happens and he wasn't eligible. And now he's back, which is a little bit of a weird energy to walk back into your locker room. 
But then on top of it, there's something a little bit wrong with their passing attack that was so dynamic in September. And when you dig into the numbers, Jalen Cropper has clearly been banged up because the first five games of the year, eight receptions, 91 yards per game with nine total touchdowns. His final six games down to five receptions per game, 50 yards and three total touchdowns. And he was someone who was giving them a true top wide receiver elements and it was helping them, you know, prove themselves against Oregon and UCLA is one of the most dynamic offenses. They still had some good games down the stretch, but I feel like they're going up against a UTEP defense that really, particularly when the ball is in the air, is going to give them some problems. When you look at the final metrics for this, you know, Pavito coach defense, I'm always going to give him love. Got to drop his name in there. In total D, top 25, third down defense, red zone defense, yards per pass attempt, total passing yards allowed, all of it top 25. And what it translated to was them being 16th in the country in time of possession. And that's where I see this game being played out. UTEP wants to muck it up. They want to play keep away. And it may seem like a low number with the Fresno State team involved at 51. But I like under here for a game that UTEP's clearly fired up to play in, where Fresno at the end of September, they looked like a team that maybe if everything went right, they could be the G5 uh, team to get the you know New Year's Six Bowl game. So this is a letdown for them without a doubt. And I'll throw one more thing in here for UTEP and their fans. They're going to come out because they are 0-6 straight up and against the spread in their last six bowl games dating back to 88. They haven't won a bowl game or covered in a bowl game since 1967. So you know what? Time is now. Go get it, Minor Nation. I feel like they're going to play a good game. And by their definition of a good game, muck it up, win a 24-20 kind of battle. And I think they can get it done with the personnel that they have. What do you think about this one? I agree with absolutely everything you said, which is why I like UTEP plus 11. Um, this game opened at 14 and a half. It's now dropped down to 11. I still like it anything over 10. Um, just like you said, given the uncertainty, Kalen DeBoer's gone. Offensive coordinator Ryan Grubb is also going to Washington. They are not coaching this game. Hayner, like you said, he did the Michael Scott snip, snap, snip, snap, in the portal, out. Uh, is he definitely playing? Because I haven't I haven't seen like that he's definitely playing. I know he's back. And, and I'm curious too, Fresno State students hung a Jake Hayner as a traitor from their goalpost. Do you know if that if that bed sheet's still up there? Or, you know, did someone have to run up and get it after he, you know, withdrew his name from the portal? A little awkwardness there. Like you said, Cropper hasn't looked the same. Ronnie Rivers is another one that never, you know, we talked early on in this team. We kept we kept saying, oh, this is the Ronnie Rivers game. This is the Ronnie Rivers. And it really never was. So I agree with you. Everything you said about UTEP's defense, you know, we love Gavin Hardison on this on this podcast. We talked about him a bunch. UTEP hasn't won a bowl game since 1967. They haven't even played in a bowl game since 2014. This is a big deal to them. This their fans will be excited. They will they will want to go to this game. By the way, I'll give you I'll them you right now if you can tell me what PUBG Mobile is. Uh, I'm going to say they're a cell phone carrier. Video we'll game. Look into that for our hard. listeners. Okay, video game. There we go. You know, good for us for for doing the deep dive on that one. All right, going to transition now to another bowl game on Saturday, December 18th. This is UAB against BYU in the Radiance Technologies Independence Bowl played in Shreveport, Louisiana at Independence Stadium. BYU opened up as a seven-point favorite, 54.5 is the total. It kicks off at 3.30 on ABC. This one was a little bit difficult for me. It didn't pop off the page as one team I was rushing to the betting window to, to throw some money down on because – BYU, for everything that they've accomplished this season, they played you know a rigorous schedule that involved a lot of Pac-12 teams. I still feel like this is a little bit of a letdown for them. I know what they are offensively, but up against a UAB team that I really couldn't get a, a handle on this season. I thought their defense was going to be better. 
I thought there was going to be some games where they were outclassed that they ended up actually sticking around. So this is a stay away game for me and one that I have a very low confidence point total in my pool picks. Um, between the Blazers and the Cougars, is there any one side or total or prop bet that pops out to you? Yeah, I'm with you. I haven't bet this. And, and you know, right now I, I don't have a full pick, but I definitely have a lean. And, and the only thing that makes me a little nervous is, you know, when you pull up the Action Network app and you can kind of see where, whether it's the experts or people you follow, and I follow obviously a lot of our writers. Stucky's on UAB. BJ Cunningham is on UAB. You know, Pete, Pete Rudden's on, on UAB. So there's a lot of guys on UAB. I lean BYU. I, I just think they're a really good team. I think, you know, Everyone expected them to take a huge step back losing Zach Wilson. They lost a ton just to graduation. And they were just really good. You know, they're a team that, like, I feel like never gets talked about. You know, I, I, I think I've maybe watched one or two of their games. Like, they're just kind of there. And they went 10-2. and two. They're 5-0 and oh in the Pac-12. If they beat Utah, so they probably should have been the Pac-12 champ. Uh, their only losses were to Boise State and then at Baylor. So they lost to two pretty, you know, decent teams. Jaron Hall was really good all year. Tyler Algeyer is awesome. He led the country with 20 touchdowns, you know, had 117 yards per game. And BYU just signed Kalani Sataki to a fat new extension, which I think, you know, probably gives them a little bit of juice, a little bit of life, you know, having him sticking around. I think he's an awesome coach that, that the guys love. And you have to wonder if this is a letdown spot for UAB. You know, they lost to UTSA. It cost them the conference USA title game for the first time in, since 2017. You know, they're used to being in that spotlight and they weren't. And, you know, leading rusher Dwayne McBride, uh, he got hurt in the final game, so I don't, I don't know if he's playing. If, if he's out, that's huge because this team runs the ball the 11th most in the country, and I, I don't know that I trust their quarterback to, to throw it all over BYU here. So, like I said, I'm, I'm not playing it, but I lean BYU. I think they're really good, so I, I would probably play them. Moving on, December 18th. We have Eastern Michigan against Liberty in the Lending Tree Bowl being played in Hancock-Whitney Stadium in Mobile, Alabama. This game's kicking off at 5.45 p.m. Eastern Liberty, just about a 10-point favorite in this one, 9.5 in most books, and 58.5 for the total. Let me go ahead and tee this one up for you. Is this an opportunity for you to send an emotional message to all those draft Knicks who love Malik Willis and think he's the second coming against the Mac team that we've talked about a lot? They've been impressive with Ben Bryan at quarterback. Is this a spot where you like the Eagles plus the points or to spring the outright upset? Malik Willis stinks. I actually, I know it's going to sound crazy because I think he stinks. I actually lean the over in this spot um, because, you know, first of all, like you said, Malik Willis is getting comparisons to, you know, Lamar Jackson and stuff like that. Like if you watch Lamar Jackson in college, like Lamar Jackson can throw the ball very, very well. Malik Willis cannot throw the football. He just can't. He stinks at it. He finished here with three touchdowns and six interceptions in his last three games against I mean, Ole Miss, I guess, but not great competition. I'll give him credit. He is awesome with his legs, and Eastern Michigan cannot stop the run. They are 127th in rushing success. They give up big plays on the ground, and I think Willis will be able to get big plays. I also think, you know, he does need to have a very good game because he needs to improve his draft stock. He needs to ball out. And Eastern Michigan, you know, kind of puts up points on everyone. They're, they're one of my favorite over teams to back. Uh, ben Bryant's been awesome. Liberty's offense is our defense is a lot worse against the run in the past. So I, I do like the over here because I think Eastern Michigan will move the ball. And I don't think their defense is very good. And I think Malik Willis will be able to, 
you know, be dynamic with his legs, maybe his, his arm here and there. Um, the biggest thing that's kind of tripping up me with the side is you have the combination of Liberty on one hand got absolutely shit pumped in their last three games. Ole Miss, Louisiana, Army crushed them. So you have this like, okay, are they pissed off and coming in motivated or are they deflated because they just got crushed? What's Liberty's motivation in this game other than Malik Willis's draft stock? But on the flip side, Hugh Freeze is 4-1 and one in bowl games, and traditionally his teams have played very well. So that kind of dynamic scares me away. It's like he's going to these bowl games, but they're playing terrible. So I don't really want to attack the side because I, I don't know what their motivation will be. Instead, I'll take the over because I think if they play well, obviously it's going to be Willis falling out. But I still think Eastern Michigan is offense is good enough to get theirs, and their defense is bad enough that they'll allow Liberty to move the ball. So I'll take over 58 and a half. I think this is kind of a low number. Yeah, you brought it up earlier in the App State uh, game against Western Kentucky, but Chase Bryce is somebody who can hit big plays with a nice receiving core or also have explosive plays go in the opposite direction by turning the ball over. And I think Malik Willis, what we've noticed from him beyond what he can do with his legs, he is that guy who puts together a tremendous sizzle reel where he can make some throws that obviously grab the attention of the casual NFL fan where, you know, off balance, throwing on the sideline, deep deep downfield so he can make those quick strike plays happen he could also throw four picks in this game that you don't have to really squint at his box scores to be able to pick those out you know those those spots where he's been really sloppy with the football so for that reason i agree if if i'm going to play this i'm going to go ahead with the over saturday december 18th utah state playing oregon state in the jimmy kimmel la bowl presented by stifle this is at SoFi Stadium in Inglewood, California. The kickoff is at 7.30 Eastern. Oregon State, a touchdown favorite here. And the total is 67 and a half. Right away, I was a little bit surprised. Utah State's been a darling for us. They're a 10-win team. I thought that uh, Blake Anderson was robbed in terms of the coach of the year voting. He's somebody who took a 1-5 team to a Mountain West champion. Here they are sitting at 10-3 and three against an Oregon State team who has made some incremental improvements. They've certainly played better under Jonathan Smith, but... I'm a little bit surprised this is all the way up at seven. My power rankings call for it to be at three. So I think I'll lean Utah State catching the seven here. Is there any indication for you to go with Oregon State or is this uh, an underdog play? Yeah, this is another stay away for me. If I was going to play it, I would play Utah State um, just like you. I, I would take the seven. Um, but since, you know, we are the G5 pod and, and like you said, they're not getting enough love. So I just want to take a second and, and really shine some light on this Utah State team. Like you mentioned, they went one and five last season. And it's not just they went one and five. They went one and five in complete disarray. They refused to play their last game because players were protesting the school administration. So this was just a program in absolute shambles. Blake Anderson comes over, who he left Arkansas State, where he had a lot of success at, because he wanted a fresh start after his wife passed away from breast cancer. And that team really, Arkansas State, you know, was so good with him going when his wife was going through her, her treatment. She was sick, and they really ra- rallied around him. And that was, if you remember when he told the team he was leaving, it was super emotional, but he needed a fresh start for him and his family. All the respect in the world. And for him to go there and completely turn this program around, he brought he brings Logan Bonner with him. And they go on, and they just, they they're, they were counted out all season. They went 5-2, and two, not only ATS, 5-2 and two straight up as an underdog. So they were just always the dog. I mean, we, San Diego state, you know, Utah state crushed San Diego state. That was never close. So I just think this team is, you know, 
is such a good story. I do think Oregon State's a pretty good story too. You know, this is their first bowl game in like forever. But I'm going to take Utah State here just because their their defense has always kind of been their issue, but they're much better against the run in the past. And, and running the ball is kind of Oregon State's strength. That's all. That's what they do. BJ Baylor, obviously the Pac-12 and rushing, he's awesome. And Oregon State's defense is just 67th against the pass. They're 102nd at defending big plays. Utah State picks up a lot of big plays through the air. So I would lean Utah State plus seven. I haven't played it yet. I may talk myself into it as I'm doing it, but I more just wanted to shine a light on what an awesome story this has been for Utah State and Blake Anderson. Yeah, I, I see this as momentum carrying over for Utah State. And Logan Bonner in particular, it's someone that I've kept an eye on because he's had games where he's been knocked out. He's had games where he's had limp-offs, getting that you know two-week-plus period to, to really rest up and be healthy to take advantage of that you know Devin Tompkins connection. I think Utah State's a live dog in this one, so I'll probably sprinkle on the money line as my only play here. And really an emotional play for us because we did put a lot of work into watching some at, you know, first blush kind of a ugly season for Utah State. That's how it started. It looked as though it was going to be deja vu all over again. And then they just started reeling off wins, beating teams they're not supposed to beat. And outside of that clunker against Wyoming down the stretch, they've either won or been competitive in every single game for just about two months. So I don't think there's any reason to be scared away by an Oregon State team that is seven and five. They're they're a decent power five team, but certainly not one that I'm scared away from in a spot like this. All right. The final game on Saturday, December 18th is between Louisiana and Marshall in the RL Carriers New Orleans Bowl played in Caesars Superdome down in Nolan's. This game kicks off at 9.15 p.m., the last Mm -hmm. game of the night. Louisiana is a five-point favorite, coming in with a total of 55. And, I mean, really, this is just a question of, do you believe the team's distracted by Billy Napier taking his scared money, don't make no money, over to Gainesville? Scared money, don't make money, you know? They've already put it on their social media page in that Florida Gators fonts and colors. Has he taken the swag with them? Because otherwise, this is a team that's only lost two games in two years. They have a super defined identity. They want to run the football. Levi Lewis is someone who's a game manager, but certainly someone who's played in a lot of close games throughout the course of his career against a Marshall team that was just up and down all season. You know, their defense at times looked very good. Other times they got, you know, boat raced by a team like Western Kentucky. Grant Wells and uh, Rasheen Ali looked like one of the best backfields in Conference USA, but they had some games where, you know, they weren't as productive as they probably should have been. So, this one is is difficult for, for me to, to really get in on, but I will say the fact that it's less than that key number of a touchdown has me leaning with the Raging Cajuns here for a team, as I mentioned, just so much experience up and down there too deep. I think they're the better team here. I'll probably play them on the money line. I'm certainly going to play them in the 20s, maybe all the way up into the 30s for my confidence pool. For a Marshall team that I still think they're missing – a little bit of that consistency to really give me a, a feel. Cause I, I want to, I want to look at this bowl menu and pick out some underdogs to win outright. And they're just not quite there for me. Is this a team that you're considering on the money line or do you think the, the better team here is Louisiana? Well, uh, Mike, if you want to take a team on, on the money line and underdog, uh, the next bowl game may have that on the menu for you. Uh, but instead I'm actually going to fade uh, another <laughs> former Penn State assistant coach in this spot. I'm with you. I think Louisiana is just a much better team. Napier's not coaching. I'm not that worried about it. They promoted their D.C. to head coach, so it should be a very smooth transition. You don't have to worry. You know, the continuity is still there. I mean, they lost to Texas week one and then rolled 12, 12 straight games, you know, beat App State for second time in, in the conference title. 
Grant Wells is super frustrating because he's talented, but he's so inconsistent. He got hurt against Western Kentucky, didn't finish the game. He's He says he's playing, he's supposed to play in this game, but how, how healthy will he be? And Louisiana's 15th in passing success on defense. Defending the pass is what they're best at. And the other thing that's frustrating and kind of surprising with Marshall too is, like you said, Grant Wells is super inconsistent and Ali is awesome. He's one of the best running backs in the conference, yet Marshall's 113th in rushing rate. Their head coach is a former running backs coach who, you know, coached Najee Harris, Saquon Barkley, Miles Sanders, and they just don't run the ball ever. So that's kind of a weird dynamic they have. I hope they fix that next year. But like I said, Louisiana's best at stopping the pass. And on the other side, Marshall is just 80th against the run. They're 83rd in line yard. So I expect Montreal, Montreal Johnson and Chris Smith should have plenty of success on the ground for Louisiana. I think this is a veteran team. I think the better team, five is a short number. Like you said, it's under, under a touchdown. It's basically a home game in New Orleans. So I'll take the Cajuns here. One of the crazy things too, is that Marshall has decided to join the Sun Belt, And I think this is a future rivalry um, being built up because these are two really, really good football programs you know, communities that care deeply about their football teams. And I think it's a great indication that the Sun Belt could quickly move into that spot vacated by the AAC because they've been raided during conference realignment. And what the Sun Belt's been doing is they're looking at not necessarily those big TV markets or those splashy, you know, metro areas. They're just looking for really good football teams. They're looking for, you know, to bring up a James Madison as they did with App State, you know, from the FCS ranks and just adding programs and schools that care about football number one and Marshall coming in. I think this is going to be a little preview of what's going to be a great rivalry in the Sun Belt. Um, so I, I'm just excited to see that the fan bases meet on Bourbon Street and maybe get a, a proper introduction. All right. Our next game, the standalone game on Monday, December 20th between Old Dominion and Tulsa in the Myrtle Beach Bowl presented by Tax Act. They're playing it at Brooks Stadium in Conway, South Carolina. It is kicking off at 2.30 in a Monday afternoon game. Tulsa, nine and a half point favorites, 52 points as the total here. I'm going to go ahead and get out of your way because I know, I mean, this bowl game is presented by Tax Act. You have the receipts on why Old Dominion is a great play in this spot. Hey, I was listening to a podcast that I, I will not name names and say which podcast this was. It's definitely not one on our own channel that said, no one's talking about this Old Dominion team. We've been talking about it for a month and a half because they are the oddest team in college football. You guys know if you listen every week, well, they won their final five games. I'm pretty sure we were on them four of those five games. After opting out last year, which to me makes it so much more impressive, Ricky Ronnie, what he's done with this team has been awesome. All those wins correspond pretty much directly with the switch to Hayden Wolf at quarterback. He has totally changed his offense. He's, you know, he's not asked to do, he's not Bailey Zappi, but using his arm has really opened up Blake Watson who has been, I think he's got over 100 yards in six of the last seven games. How about Ollie Jennings, the game he had last week when we had him and they pumped Charlotte to finish the year. Nine catches, 252 yards, three touchdowns. The Tulsa defensive coordinator left for TCU, so they don't have him. Their offensive line coach is off to USC. The old Dominion defense was excellent down the stretch. Tulsa ranks 107th in rushing success, 94th in pass success. This offense kind of stinks, I'll just say it. Uh, Davis Brin finished the year with 16 touchdowns, six interceptions. He's just there, basically. Old Dominion, nine and three against the spread this year, six and two ATS as an underdog. I already bet Old Dominion plus points. I actually was an idiot and bet them immediately. So I bet them when the line came out at seven and a half and I took it and now it's up to nine and a half. 
but I also bet them on the money line because Old Dominion is winning this football game. They get the standalone treatment as they deserve. Primetime Monarchs, give me the nine and a half. Give me the money line. Ricky Ronnie and the boys going down to Myrtle Beach, coming home with a dub. This is a classic know your personnel game. And clearly, you know their personnel. You know what the quarterback change meant to this program. So you can kind of throw out the stats, you know, in the early part of the season when he was not leading them. Old Dominion's fan base, they don't get to go to that many bowl games. It's just not that far to get down to Conway. I think they're going to have a nice fan presence here. It's going to matter to them. This is a Tulsa team that was a lot better last year, certainly on the defensive side of the ball. And because of that, I think, you know, there's additional letdown factor for a Tulsa team traveling halfway across the country. Everything here is, is trending with the Monarchs. I'm going to go ahead and play them on the money line too. We're going to have, uh, you know, our hands, hands across the podcast, you know, we're hopefully going to, cash this one a little sprinkle on the money line not a sprinkle it's just a full dollop on the money line and i think you're right i think this is an opportunity to play them plus the points on the money line why stop this is an odu team that's been good to us all season long money line monarchs baby tuesday december 21st kent state taking on wyoming in the famous idaho potato bowl that game's being played at albertson stadium in boise idaho kickoff is at 3 30 and wyoming is opened as a field goal favorite with a total of 59 set on this one. These are two teams that have been Jekyll and Hyde the entire year. Wyoming has looked really bad offensively at times, but they scored a late season big win over a 10-win Utah State team, where Kent State offensively just absolutely put up huge points, played in a lot of high-scoring games, played their way into the MAC championship game. They end up getting beat up by Northern Illinois game. They did not play well in. It's difficult to get a read on this one. And as a rule, I generally like fading teams that are losers in their conference championship games, but I'm not sure where my heart lies with this one. Give me a little help here. Ionello. I'm pretty down on Wyoming. I just, I really don't think they're good. Like their offense is so bad and you expected their strength to be the defense, but it really hasn't been as good as you think, you know, Chad Muma. Yeah. Yeah. So he's awesome, but the rest of the defense is not very good. They're, they're 62nd in rushing success. They're 93rd in line yards. They allowed 170 rushing yards per game. That is 92nd in the country. And this Kent State strength is running the football with Marcus Cooper, Xavier Williams, and Dustin Crum. They were sixth in the country in rush success, sixth in line yards. So I think Kent State will move the ball on Wyoming. That fast fast offense is so hard to deal with. These are kind of, you know, two totally different styles. Wyoming is so slow. Kent State is so fast. I don't know that Wyoming can keep up with Kent State. And then, like you mentioned, the, the issue with Kent State has been their defense, but Wyoming's offense stinks. So I don't know that they're good enough to take advantage of it. They're 99th in scoring, 80th in yards per play. They can't throw the ball at all. They don't generate any explosiveness except that one play against Boise State to backdoor cover. But other than that, you know, and we talked about last week, a big reason we were kind of scared of Kent State is they're so bad at special teams. They're 110th in the country in special teams per SP+. Well, Wyoming's 125th, so they're even worse. So they kind of balance out that that Kent State weakness. Throw in the fact that, I, I mean, uh, it's so hard right now to keep track of eligibility, but Dustin Crumb still has a chance to be drafted this spring. And if he doesn't come back, I don't know if he can or not. But, you know, he was a guy coming into the year I thought could be an NFL quarterback. I still think he has a chance if he plays well and, and tests well at, at the combine and stuff like that. So, I'll lean Kent State plus three. I just think this offense can put up points, and I don't know that Wyoming's can. So I'll, I'll take the the flashes. 
Yeah, this game has a bunch of units that potentially are pretty bad on paper, but there's no such thing as a bad bowl game. It's like there's no such thing as a bad sunset. You know, I, I want to watch as many as I can in, in both departments as I can before, you know, I, I check out from this earth and the famous Idaho Potato Bowl is one of them. So I'm going to go ahead and just lean into my favorite trend of the year, which is Kent State overs. I know we didn't get there in the MAC championship game, but they played a lot of 85 plus scoring games down the stretch. And if they're able to set the tempo, if they're able to jump out and speed Wyoming up even a little bit, I think there's a chance for this game to blow past the 59 number. Wyoming, if they're able to do anything, if their offense is clicking in the right way, it's going to be a big portion of that on the ground. And Kent State can't stop anybody on the ground. It doesn't matter how many people they put in the box, stunts, whatever. They have not been able to stop the run all season long. So I'll go ahead with an over. And why not? It's a game that... We don't exactly have a lean or a strong feel on, so why not score, you know, reach for some points here and root at home? All right, Tuesday, December 21st, UTSA playing against San Diego State in the Tropical Smoothie Cafe Frisco Bowl. It's going to be played in Toyota Stadium down in Frisco, Texas. Game kicks off at 7.30. Roadrunners, two-and-a-half-point favorite here. The over-under, 49-and-a-half. Interesting game here. You got a 12-1 and team against an 11-2 and team, UTSA team that – you know, it looked like they were leaking a bit of oil there down the stretch, but they end up getting it together in the Conference USA title game. They held down Bailey Zappi as best as they could, and that was enough for them, you know, to capture that title. San Diego State, on the other hand, they're one-sided team. It's all defense. It's all the punt god, Matariza, with field position. Their offense has been so difficult to watch this year. It ends up biting them in the Mountain West Conference Championship game. Another spot here where I potentially could fade a team that lost in their conference title game. So I'll go ahead with the Roadrunners. I like a minus two and a half in this spot. I think they'll be healthier. Frank Harris was a little bit banged up. Those concerns aren't on the table here. What are your thoughts on this game between the Roadrunners and the Aztecs? Why would you even ask me? Why do you even need to ask me? You already know. Meep, meep all the way. UTSA minus two and a half. I love the Roadrunners here. UTSA, what's, what's their biggest weakness? It's, it's defending the pass. Well, San Diego State can't pass at all. They are 113th in pass success. They're 101st at creating big plays. They can't throw the ball. And that's really UTSA's only weakness. And yeah, San Diego State is great against the run. But this UTSA defense is 34th in rushing success. So on defense, so I think UTSA can stop the San Diego State rushing attack, which is really all they have. And yes, the San Diego State defense is very good. But we just saw Utah State light them up, and I think UTSA just has so many weapons. San Diego State has been very good against one-dimensional teams because they're very good at kind of honing in and taking away that one dimension. You just say it's too many weapons. You know, Frank Harris, Sincere McCormick, Zakari Franklin, Joshua Cephas. They can be from any way, any direction, any style. They can run it down your throat. They can throw it over the top. So I just think they're too good. And, and you just say the offense, they scored 37.8 points per game this year. They put up at least 30 in nine of their 12 games. Can San Diego State score 30? They haven't in eight straight games. So I don't know that they can. And yes, we love the punt god. I think we're going to see a lot of punt god because I don't think San Diego State is going to move the ball very much because they haven't all year. To me, this is, I don't even think this is close. I think I trust you to say way more than San Diego State. So give me the Roadrunners. Yeah, let's keep it simple. All due respect to the punt god and the long Maybe. snapper, punt god's mom on Twitter. Let me get on the record. I am pulling for him. I hope we see him a ton. I like that. I hope that he was, was, it 14 times. That was a very political answer. I feel like it actually tied together perfectly with your narrative. <laughs> 
Now for a standalone game on Wednesday, December 22nd. Mizzou playing against Army in the Lockheed Martin Armed Forces Bowl. This game is going to be played at Amon G. Carter Stadium in Fort Worth. Kickoff is at 8 p.m. Army listed as a three and a half point favorite. The number here, 58 and a half. You're someone who is very passionate on the, the Bird app when it comes to Service Academy unders. Is this number too high for you at 58 and a half? It's free money. I mean, well, first of all, that's between two service academies. Uh, I I don't like the total here uh, because I think Army runs it all over them. And and really, this game comes down to just, you know, how big do you think the talent gap is in the SEC compared to the other leagues? And, and is that enough? Because Army should run the ball down their throat. You know, the Army is, uh, I believe they're first in the country in success rate. And it's in the, the reason success rate is a stat we like to use here and is very key because sometimes like yards per game is misleading because army only runs the ball. So yes, they're going to pick up a lot of yards because that's all they do is run the ball, but they are other oh, second all right, air force is first. They're second in the country in rushing success, which means gaining the yards you should be gaining. I believe, I don't remember the number. It's a what? It's 75 or what, 50% on first down, 75% on second down, and 100% on third and fourth down yards needed to get a first down. Army does that. They pick up the yards they need. They move the ball consistently. Well, Missouri's defense is 115th in success rate stopping the run and 90th in line yards. They are 84th in tackling. And we talk about motivations in bowl games. I can't think of anything I'm, I would be less motivated to do in the middle of December, then get my legs cut out from underneath me all game long. So Army is six and three in bowl games. They are three and one under Jeff Munkin. You look at the Missouri, you know, Eli Drinkwitz actually said there could be a quarterback competition between Connor Bazelik. Bazelik might not be the starter, which is weird because he was so good last year, kind of struggled this year. Their entire offense is basically Tyler Batty. Is he, I mean, he's going to play, but will he get a full workload? Are they going to run him 35 times? I don't know. So I think Army, this is just a really, really good matchup for Army. Missouri cannot stop the run. I'll lay the three and a half with Army here. It's as simple for me as the bowl game that Army was selected in. It's a weapons manufacturer. Lockheed Martin, you know, in the Armed Forces Bowl, it's probably going to be a helicopter on the sideline. Yeah, go ahead. Give me the U.S. Army in this one. Give me Munkin. I think their team that can certainly run the football against this Mizzou team. I don't care that they have SEC athletes. I don't care that they have exposure. They have, they have exposure getting run all over by just about everybody in the SEC. So I know what I'm getting with Army. I'll go ahead and lay the three and a half here with you. Thursday, December 23rd, North Texas playing Miami of Ohio in not the first, but second bowl game in Frisco, Texas. This is the Frisco football classic played at Toyota Stadium. Game kicks off at 3.30. Miami of Ohio is opened as a three-point favorite, total sitting at 54. What's your take on this game? A North Texas team that actually shocked UTSA Roadrunners down the stretch and helped them get to that 6-6 six and six mark and sneak into bowl season. Yeah, you know, th- this is one of those this – the, this is the fate game that was added two weeks ago. It's not even a bowl game. It's a football classic. It's not the Frisco football bowl. Um, I like North Texas here. I like them getting the three. Uh, they're another team, you know, not quite Old Dominion, but they did win five straight to finish the year at six and six. They're playing very good. And Miami's a weird team where they finished six and six, but they lost the final game of the year to Kent State, which cost them a trip to the MAC title. And uh, Tom Tom Fernelli actually had a phenomenal line about this. He goes, 
only in the Mac can you nearly win the conference and also barely reach a bowl game. <laughs> it's like, it's a, they went six and six and they were almost in the conference title. And, you know, Frisco, Texas is like a half an hour from North Texas campus. This is basically a home game. Home game. Who, who'd Miami, Ohio is driving down to Texas for the Frisco football classic? Nobody. So North Texas is going to have a home game. They went nine, two and one against the spread this year. They are the third best cover rate in the country. Only Michigan and Oklahoma state covered more than North Texas. Their offense is led by DeAndre Torrey, who averages 20 carries per game. All they do is run the football, get 1,200 yards, 13 touchdowns. They also have two true freshman backs they use as well, who average over five yards per carry. Mean Green is 29th in rush success. They're 27th in line yards. They should be they should be able to move the ball all over this Miami defense. And then Miami does not run the ball well, and they rely mostly on Brett Gabbert, who's been very inconsistent, very up and down. And, you know, during the five-game road st- uh, winning streak, North Texas has allowed just 17 points per game. Their defense is really clamped down. They're, they're, they're running the ball well. So, you know, we saw them basically fight to save their season. They fought to save their coach's job. And, you know, they reached this bowl game. I think they're excited to be here. It's, like I said, basically a home game. So I'll take North Texas plus three. I just think – I don't think Miami-Ohio is good at all. So I'll, I'll take the mean green. I'll also throw in, you know, some people out there with uh, college football fantasy for the bowl season. DeAndre Torrey, five touchdowns in his last two games. As you mentioned, you know, his average carries per game. He's the workhorse. You know, he's an exciting back. I think he checks in at five, seven, you know, in his cleats. So he's going to be one of those heroes of bowl season, at least for my money. He's someone that is not gaining a lot of national notoriety, but he should put on a show here. And it's really the standalone game in the afternoon slot on December 23rd. So I think some folks will be starving for some football and I'm excited to see him run for about 200 yards in this game. This is another good one too. Like when you're filling out conference pools and stuff and you want to, you know, maybe take a stab at a dog, like these, these kind of plus three, like this is, this is one I would definitely, I would definitely take them to win december 23rd ucf against florida in an in-state battle the union home mortgage gasparilla bowl played at raymond james stadium in tampa this game kicks off at 7 p.m eastern florida just under a touchdown six and a half point favorites 55 and a half as the total here this one's filled with intrigue ucf you know in a spot where they turned down that offer to play almost every game in the series at the swamp. They said they didn't want to do it. Now they're paired up these two teams that have off and on been in New Year's six bowl games the last, you know, 10 years, but now meeting in the Gasparilla bowl. It's, this is a hard one to to gauge because you have Florida with a new coach coming in. So it's kind of an audition for the players. UCF finished eight and four this year, but losing Dylan Gabriel and now in the transfer portal, their offense is clearly not as been, not has not been as dynamic as years past. So a lot to prove for the Knights, but Florida is a team, you know, you mentioned earlier in the podcast where you want to take a, you know, either the underdog or a big number. I see Florida either winning this by North of two touchdowns or getting upset outright. I may utilize your strategy in the spot between the Gators and the Knights. hundred percent. This, this is one of the hardest ones to, to kind of guess motivation because on one hand, Florida clearly quit. You know, they, they finished three and nine against the spread. They have not covered a spread since October 9th. And, but I also do think, you know, Dan Mullen is clearly not a likable person. If you've ever watched like one of his press conferences, the whole time you're just like, what a douche. So him being gone may be a good thing. That may motivate the players. I think, you know, Billy Napier coming in, he is, you know, scared money, don't make money. He is a rah-rah guy. 
So maybe Dan Mullen being gone fires up Florida, but it's kind of hard to guess. And then you also have to, like you said, you have the whole fact of, you know, UCF was dodging the big schools while also calling them out. You know, like the players used to say that Florida, Florida State, Miami were too scared to play them. So it's like, all right, now you get your chance. So is UCF super motivated to, to beat the big dog or is the big dog motivated to put little brother in its place? The motivation side angle here has me staying away from this completely. Um, I do say Isaiah Bowser has been hurt. If if he plays, that may, may make me lean UCF um, because we've seen Florida cannot stop the run. They're they're horrible against the run. I don't trust Mikey Keene to just throw the ball over the place. So if Bowser is able to go and this number can get back to seven, seven and a half, I may take UCF. But for now, it's a total stay away from me because I have no idea who wants this more. Yeah, as of taping, it doesn't seem like Bowser's going to play. Um, so I, I'll certainly tease this up, you know, give the extra touchdown on the alternate line, see if I can get north of two to one for a Florida runaway. Because you, you did mention earlier that Mizzou-Army game where it's like, how does Army respond to SEC talent? The Mizzou defense doesn't really have it in name only. But the Florida offense, they have a lot of pieces to like. They certainly have, you know, quarterback play that's been boom or bust. But when it's all been working, I mean, you saw oh, Anthony, earlier. Anthony Richardson's out. Anthony Richardson is out. So that is that's tough for Florida, too, because he's he is their like, playmaker guy. But even even Emory Jones has had his moments this year. Um, so, yeah, I, this is a game high volatility, high variance. Um, and that's the way I'm going to play it. Christmas Eve, December 24th, Memphis traveling out to the Big Island to play Hawaii in the Easy Post Hawaii Bowl, not to be played at Pro Player Stadium that I believe is still under renovations, but Clarence T.C. Ching Athletics Complex there in Honolulu. The kickoff is at 8 p.m. Memphis, a touchdown favorite here with a total of 58 and a half. I mean, this is so hard to peg. You got Memphis, whose best player, Calvin Austin, has now declared for the NFL draft. He's not playing. And this Memphis team clearly did not have the pop when he wasn't on the field. And Hawaii is embroiled in a potential team mutiny at this point. Todd Graham, people are leaking, going to the media, saying that he's stripped their desire and love of football right out of them. That's how bad he's been. He had some players enter the portal. Still, all of that being said, playing in a, a practice facility stadium, more or less, this game, another high variance, weird one, in my opinion. And seven seems like a lot of points for a Memphis team that early on in the season looks like it was really coming together. They had some nice, you know, backfield play headlined by Seth Hennigan, the 18-year-old starting quarterback. But he played like a freshman in a lot of spots. And taking away Austin, even though Hawaii is not going to have Day-Day Hunter in this one, there's just too much uncertainty with with motivation on the table and also the fact that you're playing on Christmas Eve. This has been a weird bowl game over the years. I'm going to go ahead and just say under 58 and a half. That would be my lean, but the side and the money line, this one scares me away. Uh, I actually don't hate the under. Uh, the, the Austin news just came out yesterday or something. I, I actually didn't see that earlier, but um, I love Memphis here. I think Memphis crushes them. I think they're running up on them. I think Hawaii kind of stinks. They're, they actually have a losing record. They're six and seven. Uh, this was basically the reason they had to make up that fake bowl game that we just talked about was because Hawaii had that weird schedule where they played New Mexico State twice this year. So they had 13 regular season games. So they're, they have a bowl despite a losing record. And as you mentioned, you know, they're in disarray right now. Todd Graham, like you said, accused of verbal abuse and, quote, killing their love of football. 
that's not a good sign. So when you talk about motivation, uh, players are openly admitting they don't love football anymore because of their head coach. So that says all the motivation I need. Cordero's out. He, he's in the portal. <laughs> Dade Hunter's in the portal. And you look at both of them missed games this year. So we actually kind of have a sample size without them. Well, when uh, Braden Schrager played for Cordero, he played four games. He had two touchdowns and five interceptions. He averaged 102 yards passing per game. Uh, Dade Hunter missed three games with injury. And then he had, you know, he got er- hurt early in one game. And then the first game back, he clearly was hurt. He had like six carries. So in those five games when he was out or clearly still injured, uh, Hawaii went one and four. They were just, their offense could not move the ball without Hunter. And they, they can't move the ball without Cordero either. And then on the flip side, the Hawaii defense is 97th in passing success and 111th in coverage grade. Calvin Austin being out definitely hurts. I did not know that ahead of time. Uh, that sucks. But I still like Memphis. Seth Hennigan, I think, is going to throw it all over the yard here. Um, I actually bet this at minus three and a half. So I got a pretty good number on it. It's now up to six and a half, seven. Uh, this is a spot I may look at an alternate line like like you love doing. I may take I may take Memphis minus ten. I may take Memphis minus fourteen. I think there's a really good chance Memphis absolutely houses them. You also have to throw in like you mentioned, it's games in Hawaii, and so at least Memphis gets you know the they get to go to Hawaii for Christmas Eve. They get the vacation, and, and I'm not looking at it as you know they'll be tired or hungover or whatever. It's like no, they're going to be excited to be in Hawaii. It's Hawaii. Whereas for Hawaii, they're playing this game at their practice facility, <laughs> you know? So it's like one team's getting a trip to Hawaii and the other team's going to their practice facility. I think Memphis is going to be more excited to be there. So I, I, think, that, I think they absolutely crush them. Saturday, December 25th, Christmas Day. We finally have a bowl game on Christmas Day again. Georgia State, Ball State, in the Tax Act Camellia Bowl. It's going to be played in Crampton Bowl down in Montgomery, Alabama. Kicks off at 2.30 in the afternoon, Eastern time. Georgia State, a four-and-a-half-point favorite in this spot, with the total being listed at 50. These are two teams that I had higher hopes in the preseason. Georgia State did get it together, finished with seven wins on the season. They had been such a pesky team in 2020 in the Sun Belt and kind of got off to a slow start you know, to this season this fall. Ball State, similarly, having been the defending MAC champions, they finished at 6-6, six and six, and they had long stretches of the season where they seemed lost offensively. They got it together in the middle. Drew Plitt um, ended up putting it together kind of an underwhelming performance, you know, over the course of the season, under 2,300 yards passing, only 17 touchdowns. So this game is a little bit confusing to me in terms of which side I'm on, but the number of 50, I like over in this spot. That's my lean. Um, These are two offenses that at times have been able to get it together. So at least on that high end of their potential, I see certainly north of 50. Um, The weather as well shouldn't be a big concern down in Alabama this time of year, even though it is an outdoor game. What are your thoughts on this game between the Panthers and the Cardinals? Yeah, I actually actually really like Georgia State here. I think, you know, like you said, it's it's in Alabama, so it's a lot closer for Georgia State, which I think is big on Christmas Day. Uh, I don't know how many people from Ball State are going down to this game. Georgia State's another team that that got hot late. You know, they won six of their final seven games, and and similar to ODU, it kind of corresponds with the quarterback change. They benched Quad Brown, who was actually one of the more exciting quarterbacks, I thought, coming into the year. He was very good last year. Switched it up for Darren Granger. He, he tossed 16 touchdowns, four interceptions. But Georgia State, you know, they want to run the ball. They're, I think they're like only like really the service academies run the ball more than them. They're sixth in the country in rush rate, led by Tucker Gregg. 
uh, Jemias Williams and, and then Granger, of course. And Jemias Williams is actually a very cool story. Uh, he actually started his career at South Carolina as a cornerback. He, he was named to the SEC all-freshman team as a corner in 2017. Spent three seasons at South Carolina, like played a lot. I think he started his, his, his third year there. And then uh, transferred to Georgia State last year. And halfway through last year, made the switch to running back. And he's been pretty good. Him and, him and Greg both have nine touchdowns this year. So it's kind of a cool story. Like an SEC corner playing, playing running back now. Uh, but the Ball State defense very, really struggles against the run. They're 97th in rush success on defense. They're 95th in line yards. So Georgia State should run all over them. And as you mentioned, Plitt was not the same this year. He, he, he really struggled. They can't run the ball at all. The Ball State offense had just 335 yards per game and 5.0 yards per play. Those were both 11th in the MAC, worse than Akron. So anytime you have any stat in the world worse than Akron, it's not the best sign. So I'll take Georgia State here. They have the, they're a little bit closer. I think they'll have more fans there. I think they can run the ball in Ball State. And like you said, the, the, the Drew Plitt kind of up and down year, I, I think, continues one more game. December 27th, Western Michigan at Nevada in the Quick Lane Bowl, played at Ford Field there in Detroit, Michigan. Kicks off at 11 a.m. on that Monday morning. Western Michigan opening as a three-and-a-half-point favorite with a total at 59. The total is where I'm zeroed in here. This is one of my favorite plays of bowl season. I like over 59. And listen, Western Michigan was a borderline top 10 team in total offense this year, but they got snake bit by turnovers and red zone scoring. So in a small sample size, in a single game, if they can get that cleaned up, they're able to move the ball up and down the field. They have balance between the run and the pass. Nevada waltzes in with a top five passing attack led by Carson Strong. And while Western was very good statistically against the pass throughout the season, and they're super disruptive on their defensive line, ninth good stack rate, they played three top 30 in terms of QBR quarterbacks throughout the season. Kenny Pickett, Cade McNamara, and Dustin Crum. They gave up over 40 points per game in those three games. So I'm looking at that sample. I'm looking at them playing against dynamic passing offenses or at least strong offenses, and they got lit up. And then a little historical nugget. The last seven times the Quick Lane slash Little Caesars Bowl has fe featured a MAC team. Five of those seven have gone over the total. So I'm going to go ahead over 59 here as one of my top plays of bowl season. What are your thoughts there? Uh, Western Michigan beat Kenny Pickett in Pitt, by the way, which we were on. So this is maybe one of the hardest games to handicap, given all the uncertainty with Nevada. This game had the biggest line movement we've seen so far bowl season. This game actually opened Nevada minus six and has swung all the way to minus three and a half. Western Michigan last I looked. I don't know if it's still three and a half, but that's what it was last when I wrote this down. So for your overplay, I actually don't hate that because my pick is Western Michigan minus three and a half. And I think if you played both of our picks, you have a very strong chance of winning at least one. Because part of the reason I like Western Michigan minus three and a half, I don't know that Carson Strong plays. And I think that's what this line movement's telling you. Nevada head coach Jay Novell left for Colorado State. Uh, the defensive coordinator left for Washington State. The offensive coordinator people think he's going to go to Colorado state too. I don't know. That's been officially announced. So who knows who's coaching this game. We already had Cole Turner opt out uh, for the game. He's going pro and wide receivers, Tory Horton, Stovall and Justin Lockhart, their second, third and fourth leading receivers are all in the transfer portal. So Carson strong has openly said he does not know if he's playing. He's seeing a doctor in LA to have his knee checked out and decide what's best for him. He may be a first round pick, so I don't care what his knee looks like. How is playing in this game best for him or good for him? You know, I mean, unless he wants to go torch Western Michigan, which he may, but that's again, kind of why I like 
playing both of them because the Western Michigan offense is, is very good. We love them. We've been on them a lot this year. Caleb Ellaby, Sky Moore, you know, Sean Tyler, they're 28th in pass success, 100 or 15th in rush success. And there's a lot of defense has struggled. They're 73rd against the pass, 112th against the run. So I think you have kind of a good combination of if strong and dubs play, your over should hit easily. And if they don't play, Western Michigan should win easily. <laughs> so I think if you play both, you're kind of hedging the strong factor. Uh, but I'm going with Western Michigan. I don't think strong plays. I don't think dubs plays. We've seen everyone else opt out. It's, you know, it's hard for Sean to put up big numbers when none of his receivers are playing. Um, and the other thing, too, we talk about motivation. This game's in Detroit. This is, this is Mac country. Every Mac team starts their season with the dream of reaching Ford Field. Now, granted, it's probably a few weeks after Western Michigan would have liked, but this is, this is Mac country. Give me the Mac team, Western Michigan here. And that's a great reminder. This is the time of year with the opt-outs, the transfer portal. You want to wait probably until the morning of and make sure you get the latest intel on this. Twitter's obviously a great resource to be able to tap into some of those local beat writers. Just go through, search Carson Strong, search Romeo Dubes, make sure that they are at as much full strength as they can be with some of this news already out there in the market. Um, but if he plays, it's still the the strongest recommendation I can give on the over. And I do, I do like what you're, you're pitching there in terms of the spread and the fact that Western Michigan is going to have a lot of fans in Ford Field. Monday, December 27th, Boston College against East Carolina in the Military Bowl presented by Paraton. It's at Navy Marine Corps Memorial Stadium in Annapolis. Kickoff is at 2.30 p.m. BC, a field goal favorite, 51 and a half as the total. I I just like the, the upside of East Carolina. When I look at this game, I look at Holden Aylers, Keaton Mitchell, Sneed out on the perimeter. They have playmakers. They played up at times this year. This is a fan base that if you're on social media, at least in G5 land, that's very passionate about their team. They're going to have a lot of fans at this game. They're excited about what Mike Houston is building. And it's a Boston College team that has been banged up throughout the season. They've kind of, you know, kept their offense together with, you know, scotch tape and super glue. I'm looking at this number, you know, usually when you have a power team playing against a G5 team, just, you know, by virtue of that, you're going to have it closer to a seven point spread. The fact that it's three here, I think there is respect for the Pirates in an underdog spot. I'm going to play them on the money line. What are your thoughts on East Carolina in a game that clearly is going to be more meaningful to them for a Boston college team that early in the season, they were an ACC sleeper before that injury at quarterback, you know, the issues that they dealt with, with Jerkovic, they had high aspirations in a wide open ACC. So there's a lot, at least in my opinion, trending towards who cares about this game down at the Naval Academy, where on the ECU side, this could be a launching pad to bigger things in the AAC. What are your thoughts? This is a hard one for me. I, I have no pick in this. I've actually, I'm going to play it. I just haven't decided how. I've gone back and forth between, I like Boston College, I think. I've gone back and forth between Boston College and the over. Um, and, and first of all, I actually disagree with you. I think, I think motivation will not be an issue at all for either team. And a big reason is Jeff Halfley and Mike Houston are two of my favorite coaches in college football. They are two coaches, I think, do an extremely good job of working with less getting their players ready to go. Um, I think both teams will be very into this just based on the kind of the culture that their coaches, which honestly, I'm, I'm a little surprised neither one of them got a better job. They were both kind of, they're, they're both names I think will move up, you know, in the next year or two. Um, so I, I'm not worried about motivation. I also think they both have the added injection of, of 
Dracovic and Holt and Ehlers announcing that they're returning next year. I know that seems stunning because it feels like Ehlers has been there for, you know, seven years, but apparently he still has eligibility. I think he's 30 at this point. Um, but I also think the time off, you, you mentioned the, the Boston College, they're, they're a hard team to read because you can't really go off any of their statistics or numbers because most of them were without Dracovic, who, who came into this year as, you know, projected to be one of the top quarterbacks. You know, he's already being looked at as a first round pick next year. He had that wrist surgery after the second game of the year. He missed six games. When he returned, he just he did not look like himself. He was not the same. Struggled to regain his form, four touchdowns, four picks. Now he's had like a month to rest. And, and I do think he comes out and looks more like we would expect him. Um, you know, the one concern with BC tends to be that they rely on Zay Flowers probably a little too much. But at the same time, Zay Flowers is awesome. And he's capable of taking over a game. Uh, ECU is kind of a weird team where, like you said, I love Aylers. They have two really good backs with Keaton Mitchell and, and Raji Harris. But they their offensive line is really bad. So they, they don't run the ball as consistently as you'd think based on how good their backs are. They're just 87th in rushing success, 118th in line yards. So you'd think they run the ball better, but they kind of haven't. And then Ehlers is awesome, but this Boston College secondary is really good. They're 31st against the pass. They're 11th in coverage grade. The cornerbacks Elijah Jones and Josh DeBerry are both excellent. They've allowed over 300 yards just once passing all year, and it was 303 to Missouri in overtime. Other than that, they have not allowed over, over 251 passing yards all season except that one game. So that aspect of it makes me lean Boston College because of how good their secondary is. But I still really like the East Carolina offense and think, you know, they can get in the 20s. And I also think Boston College can. So, you know, I probably lean over here. You know, I'm thinking this is going to be, you know, I don't know, a 28-24 Boston College type of type of game. Uh so I, I kind of lean BC and the over having decided yet which one I want to play though. Tuesday, December 28th, Houston against Auburn in the Ticket Smarter Birmingham Bowl played in Protective Stadium. Kickoff is at noon. Auburn has opened as a three-point favorite with a total of 51 and a half. And this is another one of my favorites here for totals. I love under here. No tank for Auburn. Auburn has lost four straight games while averaging only 19 points per game. And their defense just held Alabama down for about 58 and a half minutes in the Iron Bowl. Now you look at the Houston team. They've held nine opponents this season to 24 points or fewer. Their pass defense was great. Top 10 sack rate limited the big play 6.7 yards per attempt. They take the ball away when the ball's in the air. They got a superstar in Marcus Jones. This is an award that I really love that I don't think gets the national pub that it should. He won the Paul Horning, Horning Award given to Nason's most versatile player. So the fact that he's back for this bowl game, Doug Belk just became the top paid assistant in all of G5 football. He's now a million dollar assistant on the defensive side of the ball, a huge, huge contract. And clearly Houston's spending money like they're already in the big 12. And here's the thing when Houston plays, they, they play great against P5 teams in bowls, you know, power five teams, they get up for those games. They're four and one against the spread in the last five with three straight upsets in those bowl games. So I think they're going to come to play here against an Auburn team that they're leaking oil. They're broken down. They don't have their tank. I love Houston in this spot and I love under. So I'm going under 51 and a half as my second favorite pick of bowl season. What do you think about this one? I totally agree. I I actually wrote down I lean Houston plus three. Um, but now that you're mentioning it, I probably like the under more. I would I would really hope Roger McCreary plays in this game. 
um, because Auburn has been kind of bad against the pass or 99th in pass success on defense. Uh, granted, that is against SEC, so maybe it's, you know, they're not that bad. So you definitely want, you know, Roger and Curry in that lineup for Auburn to kind of keep uh, Clayton Tune at bay. And I lean Houston plus three for everything you just said is I, I think they care a lot more than Auburn. Auburn's kind of tanking. You know, you have Bo Nix is transferring. You have Tank Bigsby, you know, uh, in and out of the portal, essentially. Um, it reports that, you know, Brian Harson is not doing the best job there. Um, the one, they fired OC Mike Bobo. The one reason I haven't pulled the trigger on Houston is Dana Holgerson is two and six in bowl games, one and seven against the spread. He very much treats bowl games wherever he's been as spring practice for next season. You know, he plays young guys. He, he He's trying new stuff to get ready for the next year. He really doesn't care about bowls and punts them. Uh, so that's kind of why I'm staying away from Houston, although I would lean that way. But I, I definitely, now that you're mentioning it, I, I, I do like the under a lot more because I don't think Auburn cares. And I think the Houston defense is pretty good. Tuesday, December 28th, Air Force against Louisville in the Serb Pro First Responder Bowl, played at Gerald J. Ford Stadium down in Dallas, Texas. This game kicks off at 3.15 p.m. and Louisville is opened as a one and a half point favorite, the total sitting at 55 and a half. Another service academy playing in the great state of Texas. I think Air Force is the play here, but that is, you know, just from a perspective of having watched Air Force be a real pest through Mountain West play, playing up in a lot of spots. They had some nice upset wins this season against a Louisville team that has been, you know, what their record would indicate. Six and six is the absolute definition of mediocre. Malik Cunningham has balled out, had some incredible performances this season, but also mailed in a few. So where are you coming down on the Cardinals and the Falcons? I totally agree. I like Air Force here. Um, very similar to Army. They're, they're first in rushing success. Louisville's 101st on, and guarding, defending the run on defense, 110th in line yards. Kind of same thing with the motivation aspect. I agree with you. I love Malik. Malik Cunningham is basically what Malik Willis wants to be. Um, <laughs> Cunningham's awesome. He's, he's also coming back next year, which is pretty good for, for Louisville. And, and you come, you know, the motivation factors, the service academies, they always, they always want to be in these bowl games. And Louisville, Louisville, whenever you, you are reading reports in like local papers that say report Scott Satterfield will return next season, that's not a good sign. If, the, if it's news that your coach is returning to con- – imagine if one day your boss just walked in and was like, hey, Mike, me and management talked it over, and we decided we're going to bring you back next year. You would be like, uh, what? <laughs> like that would make you nervous. So I don't – that's not, never a good sign if, if you have to confirm your coach is going to continue doing the job that you're paying him to do. Um, so I like Air Force. I think this number it was Air Force plus one. So I'll, I'll take Air Force on the money line. Uh, you know, Lee, uh, Louisville's leading receiver is not playing. He's in the portal, Jordan Watkins. So Air Force should be able to run all over Louisville. And, and Malik Cunningham's awesome, but he's kind of their entire team. Wednesday, December 29th, SMU against Virginia in the Wasabi Fenway Bowl. Played at Fenway Park in Boston, Mass. 11 a.m. kickoff. Virginia is open as a two-point favorite, 71 as the total. Should be one of the highest scoring bowl games of the season, but these are two programs with substitute teachers as their head coaches. It comes down to me for, and, and I know that losing a skill position player or player on the perimeter on defense shouldn't impact the line all that much. The fact that Danny Gray is not playing, I watched a lot of SMU football this year. Tanner Mordecai was incredible, but he needs his big play guy. Otherwise there's without a player to take the top off the defense, 
they, they're going to go dink and dunk. And I don't think they're going to be able to keep up with the Virginia team led by Brennan Armstrong. This kid's incredible. And it, and just to give you a feel for how incredible he's been, the college fantasy football site, which has been featured on the Action Network, they go ahead and they put together rankings of every single player at every position. For fantasy perspective, he's the number one quarterback of bowl season. He is set to light up this SMU defense. And I think he's going to do it. I like Virginia. My power rankings actually call this as Virginia minus seven. So the fact that I'm under two key numbers of the touchdown and the field goal, the who's laying just two in this spot. I like them. Are you going back to the G five well here and back in a sunny dykeless SMU squad, or do you think Virginia is, is the team to go with? Nope. I already bet Virginia. Uh, I'm actually going to this game uh, with my brother up in Boston. So it should be exciting. One, like you said, 72 and a half. I'll probably bet the over eventually, A, just because I'll be there and it's going to be fun. But I haven't taken it yet just because game's at Fenway Park. It's going to be outside in Boston on December 29th. So Lord only knows what the weather's going to be. could be snowing, could be rainy, could be windy. So I haven't bet it yet, but I'll probably take the over just because I'll be there. Um, but I like Virginia because you mentioned the substitute teacher thing. Only one team has a substitute teacher because Bronco Mendenhall is coaching this game. And it's his final game at Virginia. He announced he's stepping down. Um, and, and kind of, you know, I think a lot of people respected it. Bronco's always been that guy that's kind of, you know, he's kind of admitted that he doesn't want to do this forever. And I think I think his players respect that. that he's like, I've done this for 35 years. I just want to take a step back and spend some time with my family. I think Bronco's a likable guy. I think his players like him. I think they'll want to play for him and send him off. for the. Can you just picture it? Like, it's, this is all about storylines. The storyline of Bronco getting carried off the field after his final game just makes too much sense. As you mentioned, Sonny Dykes, TCU. Uh, the offensive coordinator went with him. SMU's top two receivers, Danny Gray and Reggie Roberson, opted out for this game. So this, this is a great quarterback matchup. Brendan Armstrong was second in passing yards. Mordecai was ninth. Both these defenses are pretty bad. Um, but I just like Armstrong in this offense more, and I think Virginia plays harder for their team because they want to send Bronco out with a win. And a big thing, too, I mentioned the, the weather, December 29th. I looked this up, something to think about. If it does snow, if it is cold, if it is windy, Brandon Armstrong's from Ohio. Tanner Mordecai's from Texas. Who's going to be more comfortable playing in the snow, the kid from Ohio or the kid from Texas? So I'll take Virginia here. They send Bronco out with a win. Speaking of spicy bowl games, we go from the Wasabi Fenway Bowl to December 31st, New Year's Eve, Central Michigan against Boise State in the inaugural Barstool Sports Arizona Bowl, played at Arizona Stadium in Tucson. This game kicks off at 2 p.m., Boise State, the seven and a half point favorite, the total set at 55. And you can already see the, you know, hot take personalities, big cat, PFT comments are on the sideline. I'm hoping they bring everybody out. There's no personality too small that I wouldn't like to see in the end zone. Maybe, you know, Rhea and Fran help choreograph a touchdown celebration in the end zone. <laughs> whatever, whatever it takes to make this fun, I'm hoping that it's fun. Bowl season is supposed to be fun and silly and ridiculous. And this game in particular, I view it as a game that will feature a lot of craziness. And over 55 is the way to engage with that craziness. Lou Nichols III is an awesome running back. Boise State is a good but not great run defense. So I think there's an opportunity for Central Michigan to move the football. They actually had some nice balance offensively this year. When you look at Boise State, when they played really good rushing teams, when they played UCF when they were at full strength, when they played Oklahoma State with Jalen Warren, when they played Air Force, they gave up over 245 yards rushing in each of those games. So when there's teams that will tie their fate to a rushing attack, they've been more than happy to allow them to run the ball all over them. 
And then when you look at what Boise State brings to the table, they're up against a, a chips defense that's absolutely awful against the pass. They're triple digits in the national rankings in passing yards allowed, yards per attempt, sack rate, interception rate. Hank Bachmeyer, I think, is going to have a great game. He's been efficient, but not dynamic in the second half of the season. I think you're going to see a big game out of him. And I think this will just be one of those fun, high-scoring games out in the desert. So I'm going to go ahead with over 55. What's your take on the Barstool Sports Arizona Bowl? I agree with you. This game is going to be much must-watch strictly because Creed is singing the halftime show. So I, I agree with you. I hope they bring out all the stops, all the craziness. I think this game is going to be a ton of fun. And what's more fun than betting over it? You know, I actually – I like Central Michigan as well in this spot, but I do like the over too. I think this is another one, you know, uh, very similar to Coastal where I feel like Boise State's probably disappointed with the year. They went 7-5, and five and they're a team that's expected to compete for the Mountain West every year. So what's their motivation being here? Um, you know, Bachmeyer's inconsistent, but so he is, you know, kind of boomer bust. I'd, I'd make sure Shakir's playing. He's another one that could potentially opt out because he, he probably is an NFL guy. So you definitely would want him if you're taking the over. Um, and we've talked about it. I, I always talk. I love Central Michigan. I love Daniel Richardson. He is my favorite little bowling ball. He's so awesome. Their, their receivers are so good. Pimbleton, Dixon, Sullivan. And then Lou Nichols led the entire country in rushing yards, yet somehow isn't an All-American running back or, you know, getting Doug Walker talk, even though he's leading the country in rushing, whatever. He's got at least 150 yards in five straight games. So I do think Central Michigan could, you know, keep this close, if not win this game. But I also like the over here. So I, I might I might be a little two-for-one special where I take Central Michigan and the over. New Year's Eve in the college football playoff, Cincinnati against Alabama at the Goodyear Cotton Bowl Classic at AT&T Stadium kicks off at 3.30. Alabama, 13.5-point favorite, the total sitting at 58. And I'm going big. I'm swinging with the G5, darling, plus 380 on the money line. Here we go. Here's the recipe. Step one, limit the Alabama running game. Crimson Tide are 79th in yards per rush. Their depth chart is incredibly thin due to injuries. And according to Pro Football Focus, they're only 52nd in the nation in run blocking. Cincinnati steps in with the ninth rated run defense, according to Pro Football Focus, and they backed it up with stats beyond that. Namely, the yards per carry allowed 3.4 yards per rush. That's 12th nationally. They're incredibly disruptive. They finished with 95 tackles for loss in the season. That's eighth in the country. So they create negative plays. They get you behind the sticks. And then it's time for the Heisman Trophy winner to pick them apart, or at least that's what they're going to go for. No John Mechie in this game, which allows them to strategize how to stop the big play from Jamison Williams. They have two choices. They either got Sauce Gardner to line up with them, who's going to be potentially a top 15 NFL draft pick, or Kobe Bryant, who just won the Thorpe Award. So I really see this as a strength if they can make Alabama one-dimensional. If you want to go historical here, how about Heisman quarterbacks in either the college football playoff or in national championship games? Of the last 12, at least by my scorecard, Three have balled out. That's Joe Burrow, Mariota, Matt Leinart. Six have had absolute stinkers. That's Cam Newton almost fumbled the game away in the national championship game against Oregon. Sam Bradford got worked by that Florida defense. Troy Smith looked awful against the Florida defense. Jason White, Eric Crouch, Wanky. Like, these guys all did not play well. And then you have three that were, like, they were fine. Kyler Murray was fine. He had a slow start. It wasn't enough to get back in in the semifinals against Alabama. Baker Mayfield in a very high scoring game was not the focus game against Georgia. They ended up losing in overtime. And Jameis Winston played an awful first half against Auburn, got it together down the stretch. So I'll give him a pass on that one. 
historically Heisman winners usually struggle in moments like this. And finally it comes down to Desmond Ritter. Kids got to play well. If the defense does their job and holds Alabama, let's say 31 points, they hold them to 31 points. Can Ritter go out and get them those touchdowns to win this game? He's played two ranked opponents in 2021 in Notre Dame and Houston. His QBR in those two games, respectively, 89 and 83.2, six total touchdowns, zero interceptions. You want to go back to last year when they essentially had the same roster. They played four ranked opponents, 10 total touchdowns, one interception. This kid's not going to be lights out, but the lights are not going to be too bright for him. I've seen enough of Desmond over the course of his career. I trust him. I put this as you know my threshold. I needed a three to one on the money line to get interested. Plus 380, I think that's too generous. I think Cincinnati is a live dog in this one. I hate to do this because we're the G5 guys and we're supposed to, we've been right. We ride or die with the little guys. We've been doing that all year. And I want to make this very clear. No matter what happens in this game, Cincinnati deserves to be in the playoff. Like the people that do the, you know, afterwards revisionist history, this is where they shouldn't have been in. Cincinnati deserves to be in this playoffs. They are very clearly. And in my opinion, you cannot argue the fact they are a top four team in college football. That being said, I think the distance between Alabama and the number four team in the country is a lot bigger than 14 points, and I think Alabama crushes them. Looking back, you want to talk about historical stats? 2015, 38-0 against Michigan State. 2016, 24-7 against Washington. 2017, 24-6 against Clemson. 2018, 45-34 against Oklahoma. Last year, 31-14 against Notre Dame. Is Cincinnati better than this? Is last year's Notre Dame team, you know, Cincinnati better than last year's Notre Dame team? I mean, Alabama just crushed Georgia. So I just think the gap here is too big. It's way more than 13 and a half. How many players on Cincinnati's roster would play at Bama? Obviously, Bryant and Gardner would. Maybe Sanders. Would anybody else play on this team? I mean, Jerome Ford has been a star at Cincinnati. He's been phenomenal for them. He's got 1,200 yards and 19 touchdowns. Well, he played at Alabama for two years. He had 31 carries. He was fourth on Alabama's depth chart. So I, I actually looked back. I, I couldn't transfers. I couldn't find the transfer stats, so I'm not counting transfer. I'm talking about guys who committed to Cincinnati out of high school that are currently on Cincinnati's roster. Three of them were offered scholarships by Bama. There are three players on the team that Bama's like, we would like them. That's it. I just think this is such a mismatch. I think Alabama crushes them. And again, to Cincinnati's credit, I think Alabama would crush anyone they played. I think if it was, you know, Notre Dame, Ole Miss, obviously they crushed Ole Miss already, you know, last Texas A&M, no matter who you put here, I think Alabama's 20 points better than every team in the country, except maybe Georgia, you know, maybe Ohio State just because of the way they play. But I love Cincinnati. I think Alabama crushes them. I just think at the end of the day, you're going to wake up New Year's Eve and, and I'm not going to be the one waking up New Year's Eve saying, I can't believe I bet against Alabama. I'm not doing it. This is my, don't be a dummy. Don't overthink it bet. This is Alabama. So this is what Alabama does. And I bet Georgia last week and I was the dummy and I'm not being the dummy again. So give me Alabama. They're going to crush them because they always do because they're Alabama. This is the same Alabama team that was in a one possession game with Florida that lost to A&M that should have lost to uh, Auburn, who's in just a death spiral right now, particularly offensively. And it, it's interesting. You listed off all of those semifinal years. You skipped the one year that they played a team from the state of Ohio in the national semifinals. I believe they lost that one to Ohio State. 
I mean, listen, if you want to be that guy who roots for the Death Star or roots for the aliens in Independence Day, like that's fine. You know, it's it's there's nothing wrong with going with the sure thing. And this year, you know, we wanted to give you all the insight we could in, you know, G5 land, give you all these great picks throughout the year. A part of it, we started 11 and 0 on the season and it started with being gutsy. So we're going to end with being gutsy, go with Cincinnati plus 380 on the money line. But we really want to thank you listeners. You made it all happen this year. I believe, uh, what's the NBA expression, you know, a two-way contract. We had to have some situation where we needed to be extended. I think we did enough. We brought in enough listeners. You guys did a great job interacting with us on social media and in the comment sections and all the reviews you left. So we really do appreciate you going along for the ride with us. Ianello, why don't you throw out one final holiday well-wishing to our audience and uh, then we can wrap the show. I just want to say, you know, obviously this has been an awesome year. It's a fun year. I, I hope our listeners, you know, that listened through the whole year kind of had the same ups and downs with us and, and you know fell in love with the Bailey Zappies and the UTSAs and, and you know the the matter rises and the guys that, that we did as well and you know went back to the same well as we did and I want to just end because I you know I maybe ended a little negative about our beloved G5 I just want to say you know assuming this is our last podcast of the year there would be nothing Nothing that may, would make me happier than doing an emergency podcast with you on New Year's Eve, previewing Cincinnati, Georgia. So I hope I hope more than anything that I see you again in early January to preview the Cincinnati national title game. I don't think I will. So have a good have a good have a good spring. But it would make me so happy to see you again to talk about Cincinnati in the Natty. So go Bearcats. I think I'll be first. <laughs> To quote Chris Cooper from the town, I'm going to see it, you know, either way, this side or the other brother. So hopefully it is to preview a Cincinnati national championship. If not, we'll touch base again in August and introduce you to all the new Bailey Zappies uh, of the G5 world. So thanks again for listening. This has been the Big Bets on Campus podcast, the G5 deep dive, the G5 bowl extravaganza. If you want to go back and listen into any particular bowl games, the Lending Tree Bowl, all of them have been timestamped in the episode description. For Mike Ainello, I'm Mike Calabrese. This has been an Action Network production.